In today's sermon, Pastor Josh is talking about the most important and pivotal event in all of history, Jesus' resurrection from death to life. We'll be looking at the account from John chapter 20. So pull out your Bible, look it up, and let's join in. You have your Bibles, would you open to John chapter 20? John chapter 20 is going to be where we are uh, tonight, uh, and and to kind of give you some reference of where we are. The past two weeks prior to tonight, uh, we have been journeying through kind of the last 48 hours of Christ's life. And now we have found ourselves looking at the the betrayal of Christ in in John chapter 18. Uh, We looked at the crucifixion of Christ last week when we were in John chapter 19. And today we look at the glorious resurrection of our Christ in John chapter 20. Now, we know that John 20 is long. And there is much to this beautiful chapter, but we are going to to really focus in on 18 verses, but really of those 18, we're going to look at eight in-depthly, okay? And so as you are finding your way to John chapter 20, starting in verse 1, we are in John's gospel account of what happened early on that first Easter morning. We pick up with verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, we're going to pause right there because I want to give some context as we continue. If you have been reading through the other gospel accounts this week, a lot of people do that. That is, as we are working through Holy Week, you, you probably have followed along or maybe you have other things, maybe, maybe devotionals or apps that, that kind of chime in throughout the day and, and remind you of what the gospel writers have said about this. Verse 1 might sound strange to you because... Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're known as the synoptic gospels. They're, they're kind of similar in order uh, and similar in detail. And then we have John. John's gospel is a bit different. He, he kind of gives these big ideas, but for very specific reasons, okay? In all the other gospels, in Matthew, and Mark, and in Luke, Mary Magdalene is mentioned as being one of the women at the tomb early that morning. But she usually had a group of ladies with her. And so as we look to this text in verse 1, it would sound like that Mary came alone, but but don't fear. So sometimes you read that and say, well, why is that different than other texts? Just hold on one more verse and and it will explain itself, I pray. Okay, verse 2, here's what it says. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. All right, just take a moment. Now, what gospel are we in? We're in John, okay? And John, the gospel writer, was also a disciple. And, you know, the pen is always mightier than the sword. So in John's gospels, you, you are the editor. You are the chief of all the information written. So imagine what John calls himself throughout this entire gospel. The one in whom Jesus loved. I don't know if that was supposed to be a dig at Peter, but it seems like every time he writes it, he's always explaining himself to be a little bit better than Peter. Watch how the rest of this unfolds, okay? So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. 
So this speaks to what I was talking about in verse 1. Sometimes you would say, well, why aren't the other ladies mentioned? I believe that we, that plural in, in verse 2, speaks to the fact that Mary had other folks traveling with her, that they had other people that went to the tomb that morning early on that day, and then were so afraid. They were terrified of what they potentially were looking at because in this day, uh, I know it may sound strange, but grave robbing was a big deal. That whenever you would put somebody in a grave and, and usually you would adorn them really nicely and you would put some kind of covering over that grave and all the family and friends and mourners would leave, that somebody would come in and they would take away whatever was blocking the entrance and they would steal the body and they would take all that they had and dispose of the body in some very ungracious and unholy way. And so no doubt, no doubt that that is in the forefront of her mind. But in all the things that she's experienced up until this moment, and now she walks to the tomb, and he's gone. So she runs, and she goes and gets Simon, she goes, uh, Simon Peter, and then she goes and gets John, the, one, the disciple in whom Jesus loved. And she says to them, they've taken our Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciples, other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. Here's where that editor comes in. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. It gets better. And stooping in to look, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him. Again, another dig that he didn't get there first. And Peter went in the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. All right, why did John see fit to put that detail in this text? It, for, for us to believe that there was no grave robbing that happened because all the expensive things are still there. All, all the things that, that would have been taken in a robbery or there, and it's not even like it was a sign of distress. In fact, it was as if, when we read it, it was as if he was still laying there and all of a sudden he vanished and it's just there. Like there is something supernatural about what they are seeing right now. But notice, they don't see anything really outside the norm just yet. They just see a place where the Jesus that they love lay and he's not there right now. The cloth that he was robed in is now laying flat on a bench and the face covering is folded up in the corner. That's what they see. Verse 8, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. And he saw, and he believed. Now again, I do believe that John is, is helping us understand that he knew before anybody else what the Lord had done. Because he walks in and says, that's exactly, the Lord told us he was going to do that. And so he saw and believed, verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their home. Okay, so, so we've looked at 10 verses just quickly, lightning fast. The next eight verses, I pray, are going to be something that maybe for somebody in this room or maybe somebody watching right now that will absolutely change your life. I don't know if I've ever been more excited about a section in the Bible that contained eight verses. All that buildup, I want us to go here. Verse 11, but Mary stood 
weeping outside the tomb. And she wept and she stooped in looking at the tomb. Now, church, it is imperative that as Christ followers, that we do all that we can to not become calloused to this account. Like, I know, I know if you have grown up in church, depending on your age, this may be the 50th time that you have heard the Easter story. And sometimes you can say, well, he, he rose from the dead. Great. Woo, Jesus. Don't get callous to what's going on here because there's power in this moment. Because remember, for, for Mary Magdalene right now, she doesn't understand the resurrection power just yet. What she knows is life that she has believed in has now crumbled in front of her eyes over the last three days. For a moment, let us attempt to put ourselves in her place. The first time we meet Mary Magdalene in the scripture is in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Here's what it says. Soon afterward, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had been cast out. Now, we don't fully know the nature of these demons or how they possessed her. But what we do know from God's word is that for a season of her life, she was possessed by seven demons. All right, so, so we need background to understand why she is at such a loss in this moment. But Jesus met her, found her, called these demons out, cast them out of her, freeing her, saving her, giving life to her. And because of what Jesus did, she began to follow him, to provide for him out of her own means, meaning as we read the scriptures and see more of her life, meaning that she was probably wealthy, that she had means in and of herself. And what she said is, Jesus, you have given me life and everything that I have belongs to you. She is one of the greatest pictures of what a disciple is and does that she has spent the day since she was saved by grace walking side by side with the Savior. She follows him as one of the closest disciples. We saw last week in John 19 that she was one of the women who were standing next to Jesus' mother as he suffered and died on the cross. She would have been there as they've taken his lifeless body down and carried it into the tomb. She would have been there when the enormous stone was rolled in front of the opening, sealing the entrance to the tomb. All this to say, her weeping outside the tomb on that morning came from a place of deep hurt and fresh trauma. Sometimes we can just hear the story and they're just characters in the play. Don't miss this. This woman's life was radically saved and radically changed and she believed that this man was the son of God. When they walked into Jerusalem that Sunday prior and they're singing out, Hosanna, Hosanna, the word saying, God save us, she knew that he was the one. But in no way did she ever believe that that day was going to unfold into this moment. The person that freed her, the person that saved her, the person that loved her has just died. The one she saw heal the sick and raise the dead is now dead. 
All of her hopes and all of her dreams are now gone. And with everything that has happened over the last three days, now she doesn't even get to grieve properly. Through her tears, she stoops in and looks into the tomb. I remember earlier when we read in the beginning of this chapter, she saw the stone rolled away, but she never looked in. She just assumed that somebody stole him, so she turns and runs and goes, gets Peter and John. So when she looks in, she sees something spectacular. Look back with me at verse 12. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. All right, again, don't get inoculated to this account. Angels from heaven sitting in a tomb where a dead guy used to be, and now he's not there. Like, this moment is huge. Not one, but two angels, dressed in white, sitting where Jesus had just been laying. Verse 13, they say to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And Jesus said to them, uh, or she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. All right, so this could be a loaded question here that the angels are asking to Mary Magdalene. It could have been asked in the vein of, of kind of the question that Jesus, Jesus asked blind Bartimaeus. You guys remember that story, that account? Where Bartimaeus is blind and, and it's clear that he's blind because he's sitting on the, the side of the road covered in a, in a blanket and kind of has his cup out and he is just begging for alms, begging for somebody to come in and drop a few coins in his cup. It is clear that this man is blind. He calls out for Jesus and Jesus says, bring him. He runs up to Jesus and Jesus asks a question, what do you want me to do for you? Now, do we really believe that Jesus didn't know what Bartimaeus needed? Probably in that moment, Jesus was asking the question more for Bartimaeus' sake and not the Lord's. It could have been that. Or the angels and Mary were living in two completely different realities. Mary's reality, somebody just took the body of her Lord, and she just desperately wants it back. The angels, why are you crying tears of grief? He's alive. Two realities that are not understood in the moment. Mary's grief was too much for her to understand the miracle that she was interacting in. All right, don't miss what happens next. Verse 14, having said this, she turns around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. All right, so Mary hears somebody walking up behind her, but she doesn't recognize who it is. Could have been because she was crushed by grief and numb to everything around her. Could have been that he's in a now glorified body that looks a little bit different, or it could be a mixture of both. Regardless, Jesus asked her two questions that I believe are leading her to something really important. Here are the two questions. Woman, why are you weeping? And if you hear the word woman and you think, oh, that doesn't sound very nice. Jesus doesn't sound very nice there. This, this word woman is a very in, in, endearing word. If you go back last week to chapter 19, do you remember as he is soon to take his last breath and his mother is standing next to John? And he said, woman, behold your son. This is, this is a very affectionate way to address her. So he says two questions. Woman, why are you weeping? 
and who are you seeking? He's preparing her for something, something that's going to change her life. And to that verse says this, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, just tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. All right, so Mary is completely overwhelmed by life in this moment. Sir, please tell me where he is. Where did you take him? I will go get him and take him away. All right, how many of us have ever been in a moment like this? Completely overwhelmed, completely numb, completely checked out of the situation because it is far bigger than anything that our brains can process. Guys, this is us. This is where we live in the everyday life. Because we, even as believers, church, even as believers, we are longing for something better and something more. But the world that we live in continues to decay worse and worse and worse. So sometimes life gets so overwhelming. You may be sitting here tonight and you find yourself thinking, Josh, this is, this is me. This is, this is where I am. On the outside, maybe I look like I have it all together. Maybe I smile right. Maybe, maybe I have the job and the house and the family. But inside, I am absolutely numb. I don't know what to do. I'm just in autopilot mode, and I'm just trying to get from point A to point B so I can get to the end and call it a day. Mary Magdalene gets to the point in her life where the grief of the moment has overwhelmed her, and she is just begging, please make it stop. But listen to what Jesus says to her that changes everything. Everything about this moment, everything about her life, and everything about her eternity. Look at the next verse, verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. All right, don't, don't miss it. Don't go into the next word. Jesus speaks her name. She's grieving. She doesn't know who he is. She can't see through the tears. He's standing in the dark, and all of a sudden, Jesus looks at her. It's no more the affectionate word for woman. He calls her by her name, Mary. This is huge, especially in John's gospel. If you remember last summer when we were going through the seven I am statements of Jesus, one of the biggest statements that he has given to us in John chapter 10 is the idea of him being the good shepherd. This is what it said, just to remind us, John 10, verse 1 and following. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Skipping to verse 6 there, this figure of speech that Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. They may not have understood it then, but Mary sure understands it now. In that moment, when he speaks her name, her eyes were opened, and the nightmare of her life in one second was over. Look what she says next. She turns and says to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Affectionately, it is a possessive name, my teacher. All right, 
So evidently, it's not just what she called him, but it's also what she did to him when she realized who he was. Because there is something between verse 16 and 17 that's not there in words, but it is completely implied in context. She doesn't just turn and say, Rabboni, oh, my teacher, I'm so glad that you're here. She realizes this man who was dead is now alive and her life is now changed. And she runs and clings to him in a way that he will never leave her side again. Now that's all implied. Josh, how can you go that far? Look at verse 17. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Get off me. But, but put yourself in her shoes. This man was her life and he dies. She watched it. He was beaten, put on a cross, into a grave. He is gone and now he's here. He called her by name. He can be touched. She runs and grabs him, and he speaks to her, don't cling to me. Jesus told her, you got to let me go. I still got things to do. And then he says, so do you, Mary. He says that at the end of the verse, but go to my brothers and tell them. See, Jesus gives her the honor of going to tell the other disciples that he was alive. I think this is monumental in the scripture. That as much as John wants to say that he was the disciple that Jesus loved, as close as he was to all of his disciples, all the gospel accounts point to, who were the ones that he revealed himself to first? The women. The women who loved him and cared for him. The women that he gave a mission and a task. Look what he says. Go, go and tell the brothers. Go and tell the brothers and say this to them. What's the this? This is a really big deal. Whatever this is, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. All right. My father and your father, my God and your God. Church, this is the first time it is said this way in the scriptures. Until this moment, Jesus would refer to God as his father. Now, he's your father. Now he's your God. Easter morning changed everything for Mary Magdalene. Jesus met her in her grief, brought her joy, and gave her mission. Debilitating grief to inexpressible joy and to eternally significant, life-giving mission. So what did Mary do? Exactly what she was asked to do. Verse 18, and Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. I know sometimes that, that seems anticlimactic. I don't know if I could be expressive enough for how that must have gone down. For, for, for Mary Magdalene to get back to all the disciples and say, you're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe what just happened. Our Lord is alive. From grief to joy to mission. The same God who met Mary Magdalene that day is the God who meets us here tonight. 
You may be here in grief. You may be here that you are just numb from this world. It is too much. You are overwhelmed. But I'm telling you, God sees where you are. He knows the situation that you're in, and he knows your name. Sometimes we just need to be quiet so we can hear him call it. Mary had reached an end and of herself that she could do nothing. She couldn't even go and put the spices on her Lord because he wasn't there. She felt helpless. She felt hopeless. But Jesus met her right where she was and gave her life. And that same offer is offered to us because of what Jesus did. The fact that she was able to go back and tell the disciples, to go back and and tell the world what Easter meant, what that resurrection morning meant, that now he's going back to his God and your God, his Father and your Father. Jesus changed everything about that day. So now, what do we do almost these 2,000 years later? How are we to respond to this message that we heard? The sermon series is, do you believe? Okay, how can I believe? What do I do? If you have your Bibles, put your ribbon there and go to Romans chapter 10. Our worship team is going to come back up. Don't don't pack up. This is the time to, to zone in. Romans 10. Verse 9 and following. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, but the same Lord is over all, bestowing riches on all who call on him. Guys, we love like verse 9 and verse 12, but don't sleep on verse 11. This idea of there's no distinction between Jew and Greek here, here's the idea. There's nothing about your life or your past or your present that will disqualify you from the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying that it is applied to all. What I am saying is the gift is available to anyone that may come. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That whosoever is big here, because it implies here in chapter 10 of Romans. Doesn't matter your pedigree. Doesn't matter the papers that you hold. It doesn't matter how good you are or how wicked you've been. There's an opportunity for you to come and to respond to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 12, here's what it says. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Church, do you believe that? Do you believe 
this invitation that the scripture has given to us tonight. That all who would believe, all who would call, that you'll be saved. I don't know where you are in your journey, but I know we're all on a journey. More than likely, there are many here who have responded to that call. Maybe many years ago, maybe, maybe as near as last week. But no doubt there are also people here, they're not believers. They've never called in the name of Jesus Christ for salvation. They've never asked him to forgive them of their sin. And what I'm telling you tonight, you don't have to clean up before you come. You don't have to fix yourself or try to fix yourself before you bring yourself to God. Come as you are. Remember the old hymn? Just as I am. Without one plea, I got nothing to bring to the table. I got nothing. The only thing that we bring to the table for salvation is the need to be saved. That's it. No good works, no try harder, no do better, no I promise you I'll be. We are dead men and women as we've come before the life-giving Savior and we ask him to breathe new life into us. So this call for you is for all who are overwhelmed by this life. We're at the point where you are just numb. I want you to hear the Lord sees you. He knows your situation and he knows your name. Listen to him call. Respond to the calling. My teacher, we throw ourselves at his feet. And it is there that the grace is applied. And we now have a new mission in this life, and it is to get up, and it is to go and tell the world that we now have a Father in heaven, and we now have a God who loves us because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Church, will you pray with me as we move to response? Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you, God, for detailing through John's gospel what happened to Mary Magdalene. God, that you had, you had worked in her life for many years, had done miraculous things, but the most miraculous thing that you did for her is you met her at her worst moment and you called her by name. You called her out of darkness and into marvelous light. And so, Lord Jesus, quiet our minds and our hearts tonight that we may hear you call. Speak our names loudly and clearly, God, that we may respond. May we throw ourselves at the mercy of our King. And may we hear the call to rise up and go and tell the world that our King lives. Thank you, Father, for what you have done through Jesus Christ. Thank you for the Holy Spirit 
that compels us to live every day for your glory and the good of those that are around us. Help us to respond to what we have heard even now. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray, and we now stand and respond. Church, would you stand with me? This has been a production of Broadmoor Baptist Church. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with others, and don't forget to subscribe. To help us spread the word, please give us a five-star review, and tell your friends to subscribe as well. They can find us wherever they prefer to get their podcasts. And if you'd like more information about Broadmoor, please visit our website at broadmoor.org or connect with us on your favorite social media platform where we're listed as at my Broadmoor. Thanks for listening.